Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, here to help you find success in all areas of your life. The power is in your hands. Join our network for free at besteveryou.com. And now, here's Elizabeth. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Best Ever You Show. We are uh, doing a special show here at night for you. I am, <clears throat> if you hear me coughing a little bit or clearing my throat, I have been uh, pretty down sick for three weeks. So uh, we're just kind of finally back up these past two days. And uh, what better way to do, to, you know, heal than do a radio show. So <laughs> here we are. Um, I've got a great guest. I have Dr. Utter with me. Um, and she, I, I did not get a chance to talk to you before the show. We came in, we came in hot. <laughs> How do you, is yes, your name? Yes, did. <laughs> Jerry Lynn? <laughs> Yes, that's correct. You okay. got it. I just want to make sure I had total pronunciation right. So Jerry, Dr. Jerry Lynn Utter is with me. She's the author of Aftershock, and we can kind of joke around a little bit. We're both uh, fellow HCI authors, but this is our first time meeting. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I figured we had a time zone goof, did we? <laughs> Were um, we on different yeah, time zones? Um, I, I think it might have been a time zone thing, and then I think just like a schedule conflict thing, but we're here yeah. now, so it worked out. It's perfect. Yeah, we were going to do this show earlier, and it was it, it was so loud in my house with them cleaning the gutters outside and some other things going on uh, that I was just like, I can't do this at 11 o'clock. So here we are. Um, t- you know, yeah. I am so excited to have you here and uh, just have like a, a girl-to-girl, you know, conversation with and, and with our audience here that's listening live about your book, um, and I'm going to, do you mind if I just, like, dive right in? Oh, please, yeah, sure. Okay, I'm, right. I'm, I'm going there. I'm going right to your childhood. Um, okay. You have, you, you didn't have, um, I mean, I'm just going to say this, you know, when you, when you look at people, you can never tell um, things that are yeah. going, I remind people constantly about this. You can never tell by looking at someone what's gone in, the, what's gone on in their life, what's going on in their life, anything, and so it's, it's very important to stop, pause, and and be kind to every single person that you meet because you have no idea what's going on in their life or what they've been through. And uh, from there, I hope you take it away and just maybe start at your childhood because it sounds like it was turbulent. To put yeah, it turbulent. Bluntly. It, it, well, that was I was just going to say that's a really nice way <laughs> um, yeah. to to describe it. But I mean, I think um, you know both of my parents struggled with addiction and. Um, alcoholism but I think what what kind of adds another layer to that is just there was a lot of trauma so both of my parents and and their you know um, family of origin had a lot of significant trauma domestic violence um, verbal abuse and I think that that you know that carried on into their own relationship but one thing that I think that my parents did for me uh, was kind of break that that generational uh, trauma when it came from a physical perspective, so I was never really the victim of any physical abuse by my parents, um, but also from a verbal perspective. Um, my parents, despite a lot of the problems that they had, um, they never really verbally kind of abused me or talked down to me um, or called me out of my name, and I think that's a lot of what helped me develop a really healthy self-concept, despite 
kind of being drugged through the ringer of all of the things that they did. So, you know, being evicted, being homeless, um, not knowing where my next meal was coming from, dealing with their partners who were very abusive. So when they separated, their partners were, um, you know, my mom's boyfriend and my dad's, you know, girlfriend were abusive and they abused each other and they, they would beat and physically hurt each other, both my parents. And then, also when they left each other with their respective partners. So even though I wasn't kind of directly abused in that way, I was a part of that. I witnessed a lot of that. Um, and I think that really kind of impacted me and, and scared me. Um, and as a kid, I remember always feeling very unsafe um, and not feeling protected. And I think I carried that with me. So one of the things that came out of that for me was was kind of going down this like perfectionistic high achieving route because in my mind I thought if I can be great at everything and if I could be really good at everything um, then that's a way for me to protect myself because people will treat me well instead of treat me poorly um, if that makes any sense sure um, yeah I've got a lot of questions <laughs> I'll see if yeah. I can I can get them out of me here with my with my cold still. Wow, yeah, there's that's a lot going on there and I think sometimes sometimes you just have to almost do the opposite. Mm-hmm. I, I talk yeah. about that. You know, you just do like I'm not doing that. Did you ever did you ha- ever have a moment where you started to go down their path and went, "Uh-uh, I'm correcting?" or were you just like, "Wash your hands of it. I'm not being this way." How'd that go for you? I was more, yeah, I think how that went for me is when my parents had moments of of sobriety, um, my dad especially was really good at, at not hiding things. So he would kind of use their mistakes and their struggles as an example. So I can remember as far back as being five and six, like just school age, my dad talking to me about a monster that lived inside my brain. Um, and a lot of people in today's world would say, oh, that's terrible. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't kind of compare addiction to a monster. But my dad did. And he said to me, you know, it's a sleep now, but, you know, you don't want to be like me and mom. And me and mom, you know, abuse drugs. And me and mom, you know, um, abuse alcohol. And you have that in you. So, Jerry Lynn, for you, it's different. Like, you shouldn't, you know, drink and you shouldn't smoke because you can wake up that monster. You don't want to end up like me and mom. So that was kind of a conversation that I had. That I, it started very young, and I had that opportunity to have that conversation with my father, prompted by him, um, you know, leading, leading through to my early teens. And I think playing those tapes in my head is what kind of scared the crap out of me to kind of go the other way because I'm like, I don't want to be like you guys. And my dad was like, yeah. you don't want to be like us. You don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. You don't want to be involved in this criminal lifestyle. And when he kind of put it in the perspective of, look, we're living in a two-room, not not a two-bedroom. We're living in a two-room efficiency. Your mom's cooking on a hot plate. We don't know where the next meal is coming from because of our addiction. When he kind of broke it down for me in a way where I could see that I was suffering, it scared me enough yep. to be like, I don't want this. I just don't want this for myself because I, I, don't, want, I don't want to live like this. So I think that was a big part of the motivation was the way he broke it down kind of just completely deterred me because I'm like, I'm not going there. I don't want, I don't want this life for myself. 
Um, so I think that's kind of what really helped me. I didn't, and, and the self-concept part's important because my father was always like, you can do anything you put your mind to. Like, you know, when you doubt yourself as a kid and you go through those yucky teenage years and you think like, I don't fit in or, or I'm not smart or I'm not, I'm not good looking or I'm not this. And I'm at that. My dad more so, you know, was just very like, no, no, no. Like you're, you're Jerry Lynn. Like you can do anything. Like, you're talented, you're smart, you're gifted. And I think that is also what really, really helped me know that I want it better for myself. At least now, Elizabeth, like, if, if, and if you look at it, you know, psychodynamically, or if you look at it from a, from the perspective of a psychologist, at least that's how I have intellectualized my upbringing <laughs> yeah. in a way for me to be, for me to be able to deal and for me to, to not deal with it, my yeah. parents and, and, and hate them. Exactly. So there could be, <laughs> listen, there could be some of that. I can't give my dad like all this credit. I mean, he put me through some pretty crappy situations, but I think it's part of that too. I, I intellectualized and, and conceptualized it in a way that felt good for me. Yeah. Cause you can't change it. So you're going to have to cope and deal. So good for you. Um, and, and I don't know how to say that right, but you know, Good for him for having some awareness of you, <laughs> yeah. I guess. <laughs> the glimpses, yeah. the glimmers of whatever you got there seem to seem to help in some form. But, wow. Did they ever um, sober up or get their lives together and in order and knock it off? Um, and how – that's my first question, and I was going to say, and if they didn't, like, how frustrating is that? Like, but yeah, first part first, yeah. yeah. Yeah, first part um, and things like that, people never talk about what's called transfer addiction. So to answer your question, my dad went from heroin in the 60s and 70s to methamphetamine abuse in the 80s to then being, quote, unquote, sober. So he was sober from the time I was about 5 to 12. And he had the brilliant idea to buy a bar. In the, in the neighborhood where, where, I, where I grew up with him, which is the Kensington section of Philadelphia, really, really rough, rough. rough section. Yeah, and you, hear, you see it in the news all the time now for, for drugs and fentanyl and xylazine. And once he bought that bar, he woke up another monster, and that monster was alcohol. So he went from hard drugs to alcohol, and what my dad did to justify it was say, I'm not hurting anybody. You know, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not in jail. I'm not doing anything wrong. But he became severely addicted to alcohol. And mm-hmm. um, that, in the end, is what created a lot of health issues for my dad. Um, and he ended up passing away pretty young from, from pancreatic cancer. Um, but that's what happened to my dad. It, it went from hardcore drug use to alcohol, and the alcohol was minimized um, because it wasn't as bad as it was before, but nonetheless, it, it was bad, you know, and, and it still didn't yeah. end well. Got and it. my mom still struggles. My mom, my mom just celebrated her 71st birthday. Um, she started, she was a binge drinker all through her twenties, um, into her thirties. She liked, um, Quaaludes back in the day. And then she liked Benzos. And then when she was in her forties was introduced to Percocets. And then mm-hmm. that transitioned to heroin. And then, as everybody knows, heroin um, is kind of a delicacy in the illicit drug market. Then she transitioned into fentanyl. Um, and the last time she used uh, fentanyl was in, tw- like, right around 20, 2020. Um, but same thing with my mom, transfer addiction. So she picked up binge drinking again um, and just recently got out of uh, rehab again for the hundredth time um and seems to be doing okay but i've noticed a couple lapses mm-hmm. here and there so it's still it's still a struggle with my mom for real 
Do you think there's anything anybody can do? But with the, you like know, some, just, I mean, it just doesn't seem to some these rehabs <laughs> and all this stuff. It just doesn't seem to work. Is there is there any for? I just want to appeal to like all the people for, on behalf of all the people out there who struggle with this. Is there anything that actually works? I I think that the answer to that question is is a lot more simpler than 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 we have complicated it. So. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in the bougiest, prettiest, most gorgeous rehab that has yoga by day and, and, and homemade, you know, prepared chef meals at night. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. When you're ready to get sober, you'll get sober anywhere. So to answer that question, it doesn't matter. Children crying, screaming. I've been there. I've been that child crying, screaming. Um, the, the, the fear of losing your children, the fear of losing your career, your home, everything, your health, None of that matters until the person who is in active addiction is ready. They have to want it, they have to be ready, and they have to be motivated. And there's nothing that anyone, even their children or their partner, can say or do to influence that motivation. That motivation has to come from within. It cannot be something that's used to threaten them um, or something that's used to be held over their head because in active addiction, they risk their own life and safety. So if they're risking their own life and safety, you know, nothing do mm-hmm. that, so let alone a, a loved one. So really it's they have to want it. And when you want it, and I've seen it as a practitioner who specializes in co-occur- co-occurring issues, who specializes specifically with substance use disorders and alcohol, I've gotten the opportunity to bear witness to it, to observe somebody actually make it. And it's it's really cool to see because I've never got to see it from my own parents, but I've gotten yeah. a chance to see it with other people, and that's been kind of healing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you want to take a pass on this one, you can. Have you sure. personally struggled with any of the addictions as the result of whatever? No, I've been fortunate. I have... Um, <laughs> Like I said, when, when my dad started to have those talks with me, I, I steered clear. Even, you know, as a teenager and going away to college, I um, wasn't a big drinker, you know, wasn't into smoking weed. I Even to this day, I may have a glass of wine maybe a couple of times a month, if that, and I still hear his voice. And I don't like to lose. Again, I went the other way. I, I need to be in control. And for me, if using or drinking – is going to make me feel out of control or if it's something that I'm going to have to depend on to get through a hard time, I'm scared to death. So I personally have been blessed with with not struggling, even though the cards have been stacked against me. But again, I really think early education with your kids is so important, followed by helping them develop a strong self-concept, not to be confused with pumping their heads up and making them a little, you know, a little narcissist, but, but definitely like helping them understand what they're good at, you know, that they're good people, that they have good things and talking to them about drugs and alcohol early. And when you talk to them, don't talk at them, like talk with them and share some of the crappy things that you've done as a parent because you are human and humanize it for them. I do it with my kids. Um, they just, mm-hmm. we just came from seeing, you know, from seeing my mom and, um, you know, she didn't look too hot. And I, you know, my kids observed that and we talked about it. We, I didn't brush it under the table or make an excuse. I said, yeah, I think you're right. I think, uh, I think something's going on here. And um, I'm glad that you're observant. And look, you see what it does. 
So just being open and honest and having that conversation early and often, I think really helps. Yeah. I, I thought one of the things I thought about you was that you'd be a great guest for people who are just don't, you know, you're like me or I'm like you, whatever you want to say. <clears throat> I just have had a life of non-drinking, non-smoking, non-drugs, non-prescription drugs. In fact, I am so allergic to so many things that <laughs> it just, just mm-hmm. doesn't play well in Peoria. So um, I, I thought you would be kind of a cool guest from that standpoint because it doesn't say anywhere in any of your materials. Yep, she lives a sober life of not drinking, not smoking, not doing this and that, maybe an occasional glass of wine. That's not in here, but it's kind of I kind of read through the lines and went, eh, I bet. And yeah. um, <clears throat> what I'm wondering is, so it's it's I'm seeing it more and more on Instagram now. I'm sorry, I'm I'm clearing my throat a little bit here and there. I apologize. Um, I'm seeing it more and more that there's these sober societies and it's sort of trending in the other direction to not drink alcohol and it's not so popular anymore in some Mm -hmm. circles. Are you seeing this? Mm -hmm. And, and how, I I got another question for you here too. I'm going to just tie it all together. I think, um, isn't it lonely sometimes people, people are like, did you go through rehab? I have the head. Yes. So many questions leveled at me, just thrown at me so many times in so many different directions when I'm like, no, nah, I don't drink. Oh, you're recovering, huh? I'm like, no, I'm not recovering. I just chose at about the age of born to just be a non-drinker. The stuff is just like poison. Um, I, you're yeah. making me laugh. I can't even. I can't even hold it in because I just had this conversation with my husband. Husband has never had any problems with drugs or alcohol and just doesn't drink. And we went to a, when we go to parties and he says, nah, like, I'm cool. I'll have a cranberry juice. That's, it's, it's an opposite stigma. And it's almost like an opposite bullying. It's like a, it's like, I feel like we we revert back to teenagers. Like, what do you mean, man? Like, what do you mean you don't drink? And he's like, I don't know, man. I just don't drink. Are you in recovery? No, I'm not in recovery. I just don't like the taste. Like, I don't like the way it makes me feel. I just don't drink. And it's so weird that we have to, as adults, explain yeah, I ourselves explain as myself. to why we don't want to drink. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and so I'm, and I'm like, how many kids do you have? Me? Yeah. How many kids? I do you have, have two. I have a 12 year old boy and a nine year old girl. Okay, so I have four sons, and they're 22, 24, 26, and 28. I'm now 54, and our kids have don't. They're not real big drink. You know, not all, into all the stuff. And the way I trained them was like, I'm like, no one knows what's in your cup. Right. Not nobody. Nobody knows if that's water, vodka, rum and Coke, just Coke. No one knows but you. Keep it covered. Keep it near you and keep it, you know, non-alcohol. And let's see how you do. And, you know, it's interesting. It's it's real interesting. <laughs> well, what's funny? What's funny as you're saying that again? I'm smiling again because my kids aren't there yet, but I'm going to do that. Like I'm literally pulling that from you, and I, and I will totally give you the credit for it because um, it's true. Like no one knows what's in your and to have to feel obligated, and I think it happens a lot as as kids and teenagers. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, and, and you can do a sprite and, and pretend, but like, but what are we teaching them? Like, oh, well, you know, in order, for, you know, in order not to get too much shade thrown your way, you know, you can say it's vodka. I remember as a kid, I, 
I, I hung I hung out with with a crowd that wasn't that was really into some stuff, and you, you know they would call me Sister Jerry as if I was a nun. I've been because called, I dressed as a nun in college for Halloween. Yeah. Every year. And they were like, but, you know what was cool? And I said this to my kids. I said, you can call me Sister Jerry. Once I said no, and once they knew that I was like, nah, man, I'm not into it. They didn't bother me, and even yep. though like they weren't the they weren't the best group of kids. They weren't cool with me, and they didn't pressure me or make me feel bad. They just were like, all right, Sister Jerry, and they didn't bother me. And I kind of respected that about them because, you know, I stood my ground, and I said no, and they respected that. And, and that's what I said to them. I said, you can be Sister Greg or Sister Natalie or Father Greg and Sister Natalie, whatever you like, you know, whatever you're going to identify, like whatever. Who cares? You know, and yep. I said, I say to them, the people who are really your friends aren't going to care. They're not going to care one way or another. Um, whether you have a drink with them or whether you're sitting there with a Coke or a Sprite or a cranberry juice, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely agree with you. And, you and to your other it. point, wow. yeah, <clears throat> and your other point with Instagram, I, you need to send me some of those pages because I haven't come across it just yet. But I, I think it's liberating and I think it's, and I think it's cool that, yeah. you know, there's a group of people that are just teetotalers and they're just not into it. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, it's there's nothing wrong with not wanting to do anything. It doesn't mean that you're in recovery just because you don't. It's just maybe it's not your thing. Yeah, and a, and a lot of them are recovering and staying sober and grouping together and things like that. There's, there's a bunch of different groups on Instagram. But there's um, – I'm going to go back. Don't remind me about driving because I want to talk to you about kids and driving and stuff like that. But um, as I'm talking about this – with the with the different groups there's um yeah there's a lot of groups that are are sober and then there's a lot of like no drinking i can't even remember what it is like no drinking january or sober february or whatever it is oh yeah yeah i i actually i personally hate that i'm like i'm glad you did it for four weeks but how about no you know keep going <laughs> you know it's yep, like yeah it's like everybody goes oh thank god it's whatever day it is i can drink again and go 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 i call it the undoing i'm like no no keep going <laughs> well, it's like i want to detox I want to detox my system for four weeks and like, you know, help my liver heal. And then it's, you know, and then it's diving back. I have had people though recently that I work with who are anxious, don't have, don't have a, you know, don't have a diagnosis of alcohol use disorder. And what's interesting is one person comes to mind, she did this starting in January and she's still going last year since last January. And yeah. And yeah. And she's like, I just, you know, like I don't want it to become a crutch when I'm feeling stressed or anxious. And then we talked about some, a lovely thing called rebound anxiety. Because, um, mm. yeah, it all feels great in the moment when you're numbing out your anxiety with drinking. But it's when you wake up the next day or when you stop that you have a rebound anxiety effect that's 100 times worse than why you were drinking in, to begin with. Like you were drinking to manage angst. Then you drank, and now you're not drinking, and you realize your anxiety's turned up five more notches. And that's that's something that's not talked about a lot either, and something for folks to just be mindful of. The other thing too is I just I always say this, and it sounds I don't know sometimes I think I come off like a jerk saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sorry. Um, you don't fool anybody either. That's the thing. People think they hide their their mm. pot smoking and their drinking and all this crap, and they think they're like. They call it like, oh, well, I'm a functioning this or that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. listen, I, as a as a non-everything, I can smell it. I can see your eyelashes gone. I can see your hair thinning. I can see the color of your skin. I can see your nails. I can see mm-hmm. so many things that tell me that you have problems. 
mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. you're not fooling anybody. Uh, right, and, and I, I, I have like my own problems. People... I'm not saying that I'm problem free, but <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> not on everything. No, I, but, I, yeah. I totally get it. I, I, and again, you have me smiling again. Not not in a, a bad way, but you're just hitting on so many things that. Um, especially when you work with people in active addiction that may be in denial or people who are struggling with addiction and don't even realize it yet, they really think they do a great job um, of kind of, of masking it. And I'm like, you're, you're not. And I think for, for us, or at least for me on the receiving end of that, it it can get very aggravating because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we are smarter than you think. Um, and we do observe things and it's, you know, I I would have much more respect and a lot less resentment if he just said, yeah, yep, yeah, I did yeah, it. I drank all day of, or whatever. At least I know then, you know. Um, the yeah. other thing I was going to say, back to the kids, one of the mm-hmm. things that um, I taught my kids that might help you with 12, the 12-year-old and, the, <laughs> and younger, because, you know, once they hit 10, they're exposed to drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol in school. It's everywhere. It's in yep. the bathrooms and every, I mean, it's everywhere. So, um, yep. and you don't have a driver yet, but um, I, we said to our kids the, the same thing that everybody says, you know, if you ever need, maybe people don't say this, but we did. If you ever need a ride anywhere, any situation, anything you call us, um, mm-hmm. we will come get you. I don't care if you throw up all over me or in the car or whatever you do, or if your friends do or whatever, if you're in a situation where any of you need help, you call. And we've had two of those. Nice. In, yeah. Um, and, and total puking in the car (laughs) and their friends, not them. Um, and then the other thing I would say is we said to all of our kids, you know, if, okay, there's a, there's a, this or that going on, um, be the sober one and be the driver. Mm -hmm. And that has served them so well, so many times to get out of it. And it's sad that you have to kind of get out of it so you don't get crap. But that has served them well. Give me your key. I'm using that too. driver. Stealing. Yep, stealing that too. Thank you very much. I I do. I have said because I have a I have a younger sister who's 28, and I'm I'm 43, so we're about 15 years apart. And I adopted yep. her at 10, and um just due to like we share the same yep, mom. Um, yeah. So so I I kind of went through it with her. I, it's different though until like you you have a child from 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 birth all the way through but I remember kind of like saying that stuff to her I'm like you know because she's like well what if you're mad at me and if I was drinking and I was I don't care like that that has I'm not even concerned about that at that point I just want you to know you're never in trouble if you got drunk and you weren't supposed to clearly at 16 17 whatever 19 that's not the the issue like we're not going to even address that I will come get you I'm not going to don't worry about getting in trouble Um, (laughs) the fact that you call me um, could have saved your life and other people's lives. So, yeah, and then we'll talk about the other stuff later, but like, yeah. I will come get you no matter what. Yeah. Because what's really going to piss me off is the accident you're in, you know, yep. or whatever it is. Yep. It's like, no, that's where you get mad. So you got to, you know, you, you have the perspective of what's, you know, what's life or death and getting behind the wheel of anything in, impaired as life or death for you and for the other people involved. So, yeah, I just have, I've, I don't know. I, that's the one thing I really hate is drinking and driving really bad. Oh yeah. And all the impaired driving, what, whatever it is these days. Um, okay. That was a good chat about everything. And I think people will, I think that was helpful. I hope that was helpful for people. I don't know. 
but um, we have 10 minutes so. left, if you can believe it or not. We have like 10 minutes okay. left. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your book. So the book is called Aftershock. How you, yeah. you've actually got a couple books and a documentary. So tell me, tell me the names of your books first and, and the documentary. So the first book I wrote is called Mainlining Philly, Survival, Hope, and Resisting Drug Addiction. And that was kind of like a memoir. And um, I wrote that book in order to help people like me um, who Mm -hmm. didn't suffer with addiction and I was never addicted, but I was very much collateral damage um, or I suffered the collateral damage from my parents. And it's kind of written from that perspective and also provides a lot of kind of, um, I would say, resources and also just insight into how you can deal with it as a family member who loves someone who's addicted. Um, So that's Mainlining Philly. Then the second book that I wrote was Aftershock, um, How Past Events Shake Up Your Life Today. And initially, I was writing this during COVID to talk about everything happening from a trauma perspective with COVID. And then, you know, in working with the editor that that I work with, my own personal editor, I was like, you know what, there's probably a lot coming out on this. And I don't know how many more books could come out on this. So let's kind of let's talk about something that no one talks about and a lot of people overlook. And that's what's called what we would call like a subclinical form of trauma. So it's not PTSD, which is clinical. We have that in the diagnostic and statistical manual for, for psychiatric disorders. So you're, it's not, it's not a clinical diagnosis. What aftershock is, it's a delayed subclinical trauma response. How do you, what does that mean in English? In English, it means as humans, we're going to go through some crappy things. We're going to lose someone that we love. Um, a lot of people may have a ter- ha- will experience a terrible breakup in their life. It doesn't have to be marriage, but it can be a marriage. It can be a serious relationship. Um, some people struggle with IVF. Some people will lose their dream job. Some people will change careers. Um, so there's these things that will happen to us throughout the lifespan that are part- raising kids, giving birth. Like there's a lot of things that are quote unquote traumatic that we don't talk about and that's considered like an ordinary trauma because, you know, everybody will lose a parent. We kind of chalk it up to it happens to everyone. You'll get over it. But and you will and you do. But the book sheds light on what that looks like for people. So a perfect example is divorce. You're married, go through this terrible divorce. The divorce process can take whatever, let's just say a year, two years. And during that time, you'll go through all of these kind of stages of grief. You'll hate the person, then you'll feel better. Then you might go out and it'll be like, you know, I'm woman, hear me roar. I'm going to go out and have fun and I'm going to start dating again. And, and, and then you ink the paper and you're like, this, I'm done with this person and I finally have a custody arrangement or whatever. And the worst, what you think of as the worst is behind you. Like you're looking, you're looking at it in the rearview mirror. But then you notice you're irritable. You're not sleeping right. You're feeling a little anxious, maybe a little depressed. And you say to yourself, I don't know why I feel like this because I, I signed the divorce papers two months ago. And that's what we call a delayed trauma response. So even though you were kind of in the survival mode to get through the, the, the trauma in real life time, your body and your brain still has you know, keeps the score, right? Your body and your brain still kind of is dealing with that. And you can still have a mental health concern or kind of like um, not feel like yourself as a result of that. So aftershock is just that, it's the aftershock of a trauma. And, and you're kind of just, I want to bring awareness to it because I feel like in order for somebody to, to talk to a therapist, 
um, they feel like they have to have this clinical diagnosis or they have to have this big problem. You don't. If you're not feeling like yourself, if you're going through a tough time, like raising kids is really hard. I think anybody raising kids will benefit from therapy at some point in time. And we all do it. A lot of us do it. A lot of people have kids. So it's kind of like just, it's breaking that down. Like crappy things are going to happen, right? And you don't have to do it. You don't have to go at these crappy things alone. And these crappy things are going to make you feel like crap. Though it's normal, it, it shouldn't be dismissed. Yeah. You can still yeah. address it. So that's kind of what Aftershock's about. And I use... um. I use, you know, very colloquial, informal language, but I also use conceptualization. Yeah, I think I'm just loving you, especially when you have a doctor on. It's like, and if you feel like crap, give me a call. And that's what you need, right. you know. It's like when you do, it's going to be like a tagline for you. When you feel like crap, right. if you feel call. like crap, call me. <laughs> yeah, and that's true because, you know, just, even just one little phone call can, can pivot you in the right direction. It doesn't mean you're, you know, in therapy for a year dealing, you know, that it doesn't uh-huh. have to be so dramatic. It could just be like, yeah, hey, I need outside eyes on this. Um, outside eyes and ears and a heart on, on what, what I'm going through. What do you think? You know, and, That's exactly and it. it's lovely. Um, I have a question for you. And um, <laughs> this is going to talk about COVID because, oh, my God, you know, we've all been through whatever we've been through with that. Um, mm-hmm. And we are all, I don't care what anybody says, we are all a little traumatized from it. I see oh, yeah. people still, like, I, I'm just going to go personal on this a little bit. I don't, I still when when COVID came around, my husband were like, okay, flip a coin. Who's going into the grocery store and out into the crowd? You know, right. like, oh, yep. you know, who's going in at the allotted time with their mask on and their, you know, full gear and all of it. And yeah. Yeah. we have a COVID remnant. He's still right now pretty much does most of the grocery shopping. Yeah. He's still going out and stuff like that. So we have not lost some of the things that we've done with COVID. It's like, oh, well, that just became his thing and he kind of likes it now and all this stuff. But truth be told, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm still kind of terrified. Um, yeah. I'm terrified. I, I wouldn't say terrified. You know, I've, I've certainly been out and about, but I do think events, crowds, people, you know, I went to the T-Swift concert and the whole time I'm like, oh God, I'm going to get COVID. And then, right. you know, having been, been so sick the past three weeks after going to the T-Swift movie, I'm like, oh, we know where we got this probably, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yep. We've all been through things. Can you, mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, can you make that better for us in any way, shape or form? Are we all still a little bit off? <laughs> I think... I think the one thing that I can do that I've done for myself, because, you know, I'm not normal. Whatever. First of all, let's throw normal out the window. Whatever I'm normal still trying is, to figure yeah, out what that is. Yeah, what is that? But, <laughs> yeah, is but that? Um, I, I, I think the best way that I can make, make anybody feel better about it, myself included, is you have to do what works for you. And, you know, we went through, that was prolonged trauma. That would be considered more of a complex trauma because it went on for, for a long time. And it was, it was consistent barrage of bad news. Every television station you turned on, every, everywhere you went, it was there. Um, so I think it's going to take time for that to undo itself. And, and it may not. Um, just like, you know, people have experienced severe traumas, like things like war, and they're kind of programmed, you know, if, if food, for example, was something that wasn't readily available, if you think about the Great Depression and things like those, think about, you know, my grandparents, you know, they, the way that they looked at food and managed food and treated food throughout their lifespan because they had none, stayed with them. 
And they did what they had to do to, to feel better, whether that was saving or freezing or however they did that as, as a, a remnant or a result of that trauma. So I think the, 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 the advice I, I would have is that it's okay. Um, if, if, you, if you have a system set up in your house that's working, you know, for you as far as, you know, yeah. crowds or who's going to food shop and, and if, it, if it makes you feel a little bit better, I think that that's completely okay. I do think it'll take time. Time is fine. Um, and, you know, again, mm-hmm. if you notice that the key is if you notice that it's messing with your daily functioning, with your ability to work, with your ability to do things in your normal schedule, if it's impacting your productivity, um, then that's when you call somebody like me and we can talk about it um, <laughs> yeah. and reach out for outside help. But yeah. I'm not, I'm not here. I, I think it's okay. You know, I think people are, people are entitled um, and have a right to do what they need to do to feel better about this. If it's using hand sanitizer, you know, five times a day, so be it. Use hand sanitizer five times a day. Um, Again, you don't want it to impede your daily life, but you need to do what you need to do to kind of move through this. Well, I think you just made such a great point with, we've all been through something and it does change you into the way you think about some things. And like, I wasn't the one on the news fighting for the toilet paper or anything like that, but I will tell you to this day, (laughs) there's a really big thing of toilet paper upstairs. (laughs) You know, like I'm never going through that again. And I, and I think you're right. You know, there's certain things I'm like, Oh, I don't want to, Cause we, you know, in our stores here and I'm in Maine, you know, we ran out of stuff and I'm like, okay. And it makes you think like your, your she cub protector goes on. It's like, okay, are we running out of food or is everybody getting sick? It was, you know, yeah. that feeling of like, what's going to happen to us um, is, is a, is a really scary thing. And mm-hmm. I think I, I kind of just in my head, I was kind of like, well, this wouldn't be so bad if it was just us but there's four kids and oh my God, what's going to happen to them. And, you know, all these things we were, we were racing around getting people from college and uh, then they went online mm-hmm. and they did all this stuff. And it was just so, I'm very proud of them. And I tell them this all the time for the way they adapted because mm-hmm. they, I, they really did a really good job. Cause we had, we have a college baseball player who missed seasons, um, mm. all sorts of stuff. Um, a freshman, yeah a freshman in college who got there and had to turn around and come back, <laughs> you know, all the things yeah. that people went through and our neighbors had kids in high school and just, you know, we've all been through a lot. And so I do still think people are kind of talking about what they went through with COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I do. I mean, I really do. I think people like to pretend they're not, but I think if you talk about it, people are listening. Oh, I- I agree. I, I definitely agree. And the other thing, when it comes to kids, and when I say kids, I mean school-aged kids all the way through to college. Um, yeah. I've noticed, from you know, as somebody who 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 works with adolescents, the impact that it had on mm. their mental health. Um, and I feel like we're still catching up because my husband's been a school teacher for over 20 years in middle school, so we all know middle school's hard, regardless of <laughs> COVID. And <laughs> yeah. Getting those kids, right, and even getting those kids now coming into middle school that were homeschooled for, for that period of time, a lot of kids who were homeschooled for that period of time, behaviorally, mental health perspective, I mean, we're seeing a, a significant increase in depression and anxiety, um, mm-hmm. social anxiety, 
And I think a lot of that is, is contributed to COVID and the fact that, you know, kids were on lockdown and, 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 you know, even though kids academically may hate school, for a lot of kids, school is still an outlet based upon what's going on at home because um, you don't know what happens at home. And it's just an outlet in general. It's a social outlet. Even if you have a great home, it's a social outlet. And that was taken away. So if, if they're 13 this year or next year, chronologically, take two years off of that yeah. from, a, from a developmental perspective because they lost it. They lost that those two years academically, but also socially and emotionally. And I yep. think I we, see- we have to be mindful. Yeah, I see that in our 24 and 22 year old. Also, they're two years back. Okay. Yeah. You can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And and um, both both okay now, but at the time as we were going through it, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. S- serious impact. Like I have a yeah. one of our kiddos played um, played baseball at New Haven. They closed down, did all this stuff, and um, th- with. I liked what they did with the college athletes and I'm rambling a little bit, but with college athletes, if you had COVID, you got extra years to play. So they gave yeah. you your years yeah. back. Like in high school, you just lost them, but in college they gave them back to you in some cases. And yep. so our son, our son was like, well, you know, he's like, you know, I can, I can gripe and be all sad about this, or I'm going to try and figure out how to turn this into the best thing ever, which was like, how? And he's like, well, yeah. if I do this, I can do this. So he ended up playing six years of college baseball there you and go. got a second master's degree from Georgetown University. See? He transferred <laughs> He transferred to Georgetown, played baseball, and got another master's degree from Georgetown, which then, because, the you know, the little, you know, that book, The Little Bug Went Kachoo, um, yeah. <laughs> his younger brother um, now goes to Georgetown and is in their medical um, facilities there. So it's, it's, yeah, you, you've got to really stop, pause and think, okay, this sucked, but what am I going to do about this to make sure my future self is healed as best as it can be? That's what I think. I think you just got to, especially as parents, I think that direction, you know, they're like, what do I do, mom? And you're like, shh, mm-hmm. shit, if I know, I'm, I'm going through this too. <laughs> and there's four of you and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm and I, and I was like, oh man, the laundry's back too, you know, <laughs> everybody. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, and I think some of the ways that they maneuvered in the world maneuvered were genius. Um, because I remember when I they mean- first went up, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I'm rambling. No, I, I said, do you, no, no, no. It's, I think it's great, but do you know what that's called clinically? What no, your son did with, with your clinically, we call that post-traumatic growth. Oh. So people will go, that was traumatic, right? Some people may not think it's traumatic. Again, they may minimize it, but especially when you're dealing with college athletes or you're dealing with college artists or you're dealing with yeah. you know, residencies and, and rotations and but they kind of, with your guidance and help and support, they navigate it. And instead of folding, right, or instead of kind of being consumed, because it's easy to be and it's, it's okay to be. I'm not, I'm not placing any type of judgment on somebody who has a hard time. Yeah. yeah, they navigate it and they became resilient. 
And yeah. we call that post-traumatic growth in psychology because you took the trauma, you went through it, and you may have a hard time, and it may take you a while to get to where you've landed, but you've landed on your feet. And that's what post-traumatic growth is. It's not, it's not getting it right the first time or maybe even the second, but you've, he eventually, you know, your son seemed to be more of a straight line, but with some people, they may have dropped out during this, now they're back. What comes yeah. the lesson learned throughout and being able to kind of retrospectively say, yeah, I went through a tough time. Yeah, probably didn't make the best decisions, but you know what? I'm here now and I'm getting it done. Yeah. And, and there were discussions like that too. It's like, oh, this sucks. And we did, we, you know, we, we checked in a lot. Like, are you all right? No, I'm not. You know, that kind of thing. We would get responses of, no, I'm not okay. I feel like yeah. crap and this sucks. And all, you know, cause I have scientists and they're like, I can't do my labs right. The teachers mm-hmm. are too old and they don't know how to do things online. And they were yep. great professors to have in person, but wow, now, and you know, just all sorts of stuff. And um, so it's, it's been interesting. And I think, um, you know, bravo to people for, for making the best of, of a really crappy situation. And I love the concept of this book and that's where I went with it. I'm like, Oh, this is what that means where you have this, it's like almost like a delayed response, like a, almost yes. like a delayed allergic, allergic reaction. It's like I ate that. And then like eight hours later, here's my allergic reaction. I have really bad food allergies. So, um, and I didn't really think of it ever think of it like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a really cool book. Um, and I hope a lot of people read it. So it's aftershock. We got to go, but um, yep. what's your website? Yeah, so my website is www.drjerrylynn or drjerrylynnutter.com, and it's my my first name is G-E-R-I-L-Y-N-N, so it's D-R, then G-E-R-I-L-Y-N-N.com. Okay, so I will make sure that website is up here. I've got the, okay. on the show, everybody, I've got the website for the book, which, um, didn't the book just come out not too long ago? It's pretty new, yeah, right? Yeah, it just came out, yeah, it just came out at the end of September, um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it, I'm so cool that you're also, you know, it, it, we yeah. can have a total conversation offline about that, but, um, yeah, so HCI and I think Simon and Schuster is distributing it. So, yeah. um, you know, you know how that yeah. works. So, and, you know, trying hard over here to, to make it a success, but it seems to be doing <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Books are, being an author is a whole different thing. Everybody listening, uh, um, you know, it's one thing to have a career and all this stuff and do this. And then you branch out and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to take my career and I'm going to write a book. And then yeah. you're like, okay, writing the book's the easy part. Here's the thing though, <laughs> like selling the book, finding readers for the book, marketing the book, yeah. all this stuff. It, it makes you wear as an author, like 20 different hats trying to figure it all out so um you know there's a, and there's, that's why I'm in therapy that's why I'm in my own therapy that's my let me just shock. tell you I'll, I'll share my book journey with you sometime and I almost needed yeah. therapy after after the first one I'm like oh my god I suck I I went through this like deep dark like I'm horrible this book didn't even remotely sell enough copies and I suck and it yeah, took a long time bad. for me to go from that to all right, you actually do have something to maybe say to people and help people and do all these things. And um, the second one went a lot better once I was like, uh, yeah, we're going to just whatever, lick yeah, some wounds and move it, you along. Have to be an, you have to be an author and a master marketer, which are two very different things. Oh, yeah. um, you know, very different things. So it's it, it, you do kind of beat yourself up 
Um, and you have good days and bad days, but, um, again, that's why I'm in my own, that's one of the reasons why I'm in my own therapy. So even the docs, even us, even the good doctors will have their own therapist. It's the ones that don't, that everybody should worry about. <laughs> yeah. They have no place to unload everything that's coming in. Exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, it has been a joy to meet you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for adjusting your schedule because this was scheduled for 11 a.m. Eastern time today. And, um, I find that when I do 11 a.m. shows, even though it was noisy here and everything, I still wanted to move it because you just don't have that live listening crowd that we have at night. So um, there's a crew here listening to you, and they're applauding in the background and thanking you for your time (laughs) and energy and information and humor. Thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was awesome. I I felt like I was talking to an old friend. So thank you so much. You're a great host. That's the show. Well, thank you very much for the compliment. Um, And I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I love your book and everybody. Okay. So here's what we do here at the best ever you show and best ever you network. You know, the drill, we have an author on and what do we do? We go to Amazon and we buy their book and leave reviews. Everybody, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. Um, Us authors these days, we sort of uh, need um, all books are sold over on Amazon these days. And it's a really good benchmark of how well we're doing. So um, I put the I put the Simon and Schuster link up. I'll put the Amazon link. I'll put Jerry's website link up, and off we go. So, Doctor Jerry Lynn, thank you very much for being here. And everybody, thank go you. get aftershock. All right, take care, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you tuned in. Be brave. Be bold. Be you. And remember to visit us at besteveryou.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.